Please open your Bibles to Luke 17, 5 through 6. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 876. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask that you would uh, be present uh, not only for the reading of your word, but also for the proclamation of your word. And we pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And Lord, where he be lifted up, I pray that you would draw all peoples to yourself. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, give us hearts to believe, wills to obey. We ask in your name. Amen. I don't know if you know it, uh, or not, but Tuesday night begins the greatest two weeks uh, in the whole year. For the next two weeks, it is going to be like having a birthday every day for 14 days. On Tuesday night is the opening of the NBA basketball season. So, what we have here for For two weeks, we have NBA games, we have NFL games, we have college football games, we have NHL hockey games, and we have the baseball playoffs, which the Braves are in, and including the World Series. it's, It's better than birthdays. It is like Christmas morning. Every day for two weeks straight. Now that said, I want to invite you into my office for a marriage counseling session that will take place two weeks from now. The wife has had it up to here. Her complaint is that the husband has not helped with the children. He's not helped with the dishes for the past 14 days. She has had to shoulder the burden of running the family while the husband has cheered in front of the television every evening. The husband is always genuinely sorry the next morning, but after talking with his friends at work all day about the upcoming game, He loses control and ends up in front of the television again. So the husband and wife end up in front of me for marriage counseling. The husband is just shattered that he has acted so selfishly. He even cut the plug off of the TV so that he would not be tempted to turn it on in the evening. But the wife, she's still steaming. It was a long, difficult two weeks, and she wants her pound of flesh. So what do I do? I'm sitting in the counseling session. I open my Bible to Luke chapter 17, and I read verses 3 and 4 from last week's passage. 
And Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so I, I give the Bible to the, to the wife and she reads this. And she says, well, of course I'll forgive him, but not yet. He, he put me through two really, really bad weeks. So then I asked her to read verse 5. And she read it aloud, saying, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And so I tell her, after she reads this, Well, you know what you need? You need more faith to forgive your husband. Does that sound like wise counsel? <laughs> no, it does not. You know, I've been playing this out in my mind this week, and it's just been rubbing me wrong because many of the commentators and the preachers that I would typically turn to to check my interpretation of the passage, they are saying that granting forgiveness to someone who has wronged us is so difficult that we need more faith. We need greater faith. And so that's why the the apostles here in verse 5 cry out to the Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to forgive someone who sins against us seven times in one day. Um, frankly, it, it gives me pause when I'm disagreeing with guys like Charles Spurgeon, uh, Kent Hughes, John Blanchard, J.C. Ryle among others, and I, I will say I did find some much-needed uh, support from uh, a commentary written by Ralph Dell Davis. So I feel like he and I are standing out on this thin little limb together. So what I'm saying is I'm going to present a different interpretation of this passage than what you might find in many of the commentators. I don't think that the, the disciples were correct in, in their request for an increase in their faith. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. Spurgeon says, here where the apostles are, are asking for an increase in faith, this is the, the, the only time that I can remember that they actually asked for the wrong thing. And here I'm saying to Spurgeon, no, I think they asked for the wrong thing. Um, you know, who could be wrong in asking for more faith, right? Who does not need more faith? But my issue is that Jesus is clearly correcting the disciples in verse 6. He's not commending them for their desire for greater faith. Uh, he says in verse 6, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is telling his disciples that it is not great faith, but rather genuine faith that matters. You can have faith as small as a mustard seed. Your faith can be so weak that 
it almost seems like it is going to break with just a gentle wind blowing on it. Any kind of trial, any kind of, of hardship in your life, it just feels like you're just going to crumble. But the Lord says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not snuff out. Jesus is saying you can have a faith as small as a mustard seed, as long as it is genuine and it will produce unmistakable results. Namely, it will produce forgiveness towards those who are difficult to forgive. Because that's the, 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 the context. Uh, verses 3 and 4, he's talking about forgiving someone who sins against you seven days, who turns to you every time saying, I must forgive. Uh, I, I repent, and Jesus says, you must forgive them. It's a command. You will remember that Jesus used mustard seeds in his parables when he was talking about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13. He pointed out how, and I'm sure you'll remember this, how small mustard seeds are. In Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. His point in Luke 17 is that it does not matter how small your faith may be. If it is genuine, if it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be able to forgive your brother or your sin or your your sister who sins against you. Um, Returning to the, the fictional couple and the marriage counseling, and no, this is not me and Mandy after two weeks, um, but rather uh, a fictional couple. Um, I would not use this passage um, to exhort the wife to grow in her faith, but at the same time, Jesus is saying, um, of course, there would be a lot that would be said to the husband, but there would also be Jesus is saying uh, to the wife, do you have genuine faith? Are you willing to forgive your husband? Not after you punish him for a bit, but Jesus says, uh, or Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, forgive what? As the Lord forgave you. I feel the need to retread some of the remarks that I made in last week's sermon uh, because to understand this passage, to understand what Jesus is saying and the requirement that he puts on people to forgive their brother or their sister in Christ, uh, it's, it's important to remember that forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian faith. Jesus came here to earth. He lived a perfect life. He loved his enemies who hated him. And he went to the cross where he took on our sins. He paid the full penalty of the wrath of God. 
uh, so that we could be completely forgiven. Um, If you belong to Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. And I, I, I wish that I could have you drink this verse into your soul. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. Our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and suffered so that we might have our sins forgiven. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. Turn to Isaiah 43. I don't often have you turn to a different passage, but I want want to spend just a few minutes in Isaiah chapter 43. to try and illustrate what it means to have your sins forgiven. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God has blotted them out. He remembers them no more. You are forgiven. And you say, but I sinned horribly this week. How can God possibly forgive me? Well, I ask you to turn to Isaiah 43 so that you could see the character of those that God is saying that he is going to forgive. Uh, First of all, These people that he is saying he is going to forgive, he says that they are prayerless. Verse 22. Verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. They they were not calling upon God. They were prayerless. Um, They may have bowed their heads in the synagogue. They may have mouthed along to some formal prayers, but they were not calling upon God. They were prayerless. And they were prayerless because they didn't really like God. The second half of verse 22, which says, But you have been weary of me, O Israel. He was a nuisance to them. Getting up on the Sabbath morning and giving up their day to go to church, it was draining on their soul. It was a most terrible hardship for them. And because they didn't like God, God was wearying to them. They were also thankless. Verse 23, he says, You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. And he goes on. God had provided them with their living. He had provided them with their health. He had chosen Israel to be his own um, adopted nation. But they refused to acknowledge God with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. When the offering plate was passed, 
because they weren't thankful. They only gave enough for the others in the pew to see that they had given something. And these people in Isaiah 43, even though they were his chosen people, they were fatiguing uh, God with their sins. Verse 24, You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. These people called themselves God's people. They showed up in church every Sunday. They bowed their heads during the prayer, but they never prayed. They put some money in the offering plates, but were never thankful. They were hypocrites. They loved their sins and were weary of God. But look at the very next verse after verse 24. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will, rem- and I will not remember your sins. Some of you may think that you are beyond God's forgiveness. Some of you may think that you have sinned so horribly in this past week that God cannot possibly love you and certainly not forgive you. And I want, you, well, you may be stricken in your conscience because of your sin. But you, I want you to see here from God's own word that he blots your, his, your sin from his memory if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the, the blood of, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ was a real atonement. God's forgiveness is a real forgiveness. So turn back now to, uh, to Luke chapter 17. When God says he forgives someone, it is a real forgiveness. It's not half-hearted. It's not insincere. Likewise, when we forgive someone, it cannot be fickle. It cannot be faltering. It cannot be slow. If a person comes to you seven times in a day saying, I repent, what must you do? Jesus says you must forgive that person. And I want to ask, what does real repentance look like? Real repentance looks like this. I'm sorry, real forgiveness. Offering real forgiveness to someone says, I'm not going to dwell on this incident any longer. Giving someone real forgiveness says, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Real forgiveness, granting someone real forgiveness says, I'm not going to talk to other people about this incident. Real forgiveness says, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness requires genuine faith. It's not optional. It's a command. But even though it is difficult, and it may seem impossible, of course it is without God's grace, if you have faith, genuine faith, you will be able to forgive. I do not want to under undersell the difficulty of forgiveness. 
Jesus likens it to likens it to uprooting a a mulberry tree and planting it in a sea. And it's likely that Jesus had in mind a black mulberry tree. A black mulberry tree had a very extensive uh, root system. They say that a black mulberry tree lives upwards of 600 years. In other words, it's a difficult thing to uproot a mulberry bush and then to show that Jesus is just using a metaphor, he says, and have it planted in the middle of the sea. How's a, uh, a tree going to be planted in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? Well, it's not. But he's simply underscoring that it is difficult to forgive. But if you have the faith of one little grain of mustard seed, You can forgive your brother or your sister who has sinned against you repeatedly. And the power of faith here, the power of genuine faith, is not in your exercise of faith. It doesn't so much depend on how much faith you have in God. But what is required is that you have faith in a great God. God is the object of of your faith. Uh, Sandy uh, McLeod was a theologian back a hundred years ago, and he said that there can be a danger in analyzing and scrutinizing your faith because you can end up neglecting the object of your faith. And I don't know about you, but I fall into this danger of thinking, looking at my faith, how, how strong is my faith, um, or how weak is my faith. He says there's a danger because you end up neglecting the object of your faith. He says, was your faith crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of your faith? No, of course not. God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is the object of your faith. If you're struggling to forgive someone, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. What people did to him was unforgivable. From the kiss of betrayal on his cheek by Judas to the unjust charges and conviction at the hands of the religious leaders in the dead of night, on the night uh, he was betrayed, to the soldiers mocking him and beating him, to the people crying out for them to release, uh, for uh, Uh, Pilate to release Barabbas instead of Jesus, to his crucifixion on the cross, Jesus loved his enemies and cried out for their forgiveness even though they had not repented. And Jesus commands you, love your brother or your sister enough to forgive them. Lean into the forgiveness. Be eager to forgive them even before they ask you. Because you have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. And I am here to tell you, He will help you to forgive no matter how small you may perceive your faith to be. Cast it into Jesus and He will help you be a person who can forgive someone who is hard to forgive as we pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we all at times feel like we have the 
faith of only one small mustard seed. But we thank you that we have a big God that is the object of our faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use our mustard seed faith to look to you, to be a people who are loving even of our enemies, so much so that we are eager and able to forgive. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.